Hello everyone and welcome to lesson three for CMST 210 Interpersonal Communication. This is of chapter three and it's all about the process of perception. Perception itself is an active process of selecting, organizing, and interpreting people, places, events, and this really shapes our understanding of ourselves and the world around us. So I ask you to think back, have you ever thought that someone looked or acted mean, but when you got to know them, you found out the total opposite? Maybe a coworker seemed like they were very shy or a bit rude, and then you got to know them and found out that they were incredibly friendly and fun to be around. Um, this is part of the perception process, and we're going to dive into that today, uh, beginning with selection. And this is what we decide to perceive, right? Before we can really perceive anything, we have to decide that we're going to look into it. Oftentimes, we look at things that stand out. If there is a car in Moses Lake that is a bright green, it's going to stand out among a bunch of beige cars. And that's because it's different. So it stands out. You're much more likely to pay attention to someone in a restaurant who is speaking very loud than you are the quiet person in the corner. The person who is louder is, is really calling your attention more. And so you are selecting to look into them. Just like if you are in a classroom of people and someone is really wearing something super bright with a lot of colors or maybe their hair is dyed um, a bunch of different colors, you are more likely to pay attention to that than you are someone next to them with a natural hair color. Things that are different stand out to us. But selection is also influenced by our needs, our interests, our motives. So you are looking for a job. You are much more likely to select the job ads that you see when you're scrolling through Facebook maybe, right? Maybe I'm not looking for a job, and so as I'm going through Facebook, I notice different ads. Um, I know that I was looking at shoes the other day, and now I keep getting ads for a bunch of shoes. And it works well because, yeah, I, I'm looking for new shoes, and so I click on the ads. Uh, that's because it's an interest right now. It's something that I'm looking for. So you might be more likely to see a job ad than I would be selecting to look into that and, and read it more. Uh, but I might be more likely to look into the shoes ad because right now I want some new shoes. And so um, this is influenced by our needs slash interests. Also motives. Think about how after you break up with somebody, a romantic partner, the world begins to look a little different. Maybe you notice that person that sits next to you on the bus in the morning and you had never really thought about them in a romantic way. But now if you're in a if you're like in monogamous relationships, then the fact that you are no longer with that person means that you're, you're kind of open to, to look around now. And so maybe things do look different for you. If you were into a certain sports team, you're much more likely to spot their logo in a crowd than someone like I would. I know that a lot of people are super into football in Washington State. I'm not. And so if you see a team on someone's hat or t-shirt, you're more likely to select that as something that calls out your attention. 
Whereas I might notice someone who has glasses that I really like and that I'm looking into. And I notice that when you go to the sports, we're all different. We have interests that are much different and therefore we are going to choose to select these different things and people and places to look at. I was in Winco probably about a year ago and I'm shopping and it's loud and I hear someone speaking Arabic in the distance and I'm like no way I'm hearing Arabic who is this that speaks Arabic in Moses Lake and so I looked around and I saw the person and I was like where are you from and I got into a conversation um that's because I'm really interested and I lived in the Middle East before and so when I heard um Arabic I was really interested because it's different when I lived in a very small town in Illinois there were very few people who spoke Spanish. And so when I heard someone speaking Spanish, it would really call call my attention. And it's something that I was excited to, to participate in. Whereas here in Moses Lake, it's very common to hear Spanish. It's not something that's super different. It's something that's quite popular. So it might not really stand out to us, but that is the process of selection. Next, we have organization, and we actually organize thoughts in our minds through something called constructivism. And if you've learned anything about kind of basic psychology, especially if you've learned about childhood psychology or lifespan psychology, you've most likely heard of constructivism before. And essentially, it says that we construct everything out of our experiences what we've experienced in life helps um, create our understandings and so constructivism says that we organize and interpret by applying cognitive structures called schemata and schemata are previous previous ideas and experiences that help us paint a picture and so let's begin by thinking of schema as a general idea a loose idea about something and you all have schema of a classroom. Before you ever went to school in kindergarten or first grade, you didn't know what a classroom looked like. You didn't know what the behavior was, how the classroom setup was. Generally, students are all seated somewhere. The teacher is in front of the classroom. Uh, You're not supposed to speak unless you're called upon. There's a time for rest, relaxation, nap time, whatever. Before you go in, though, this is just a blank space. You have no idea. But when you go to your first day of class, you begin to get a feel for what it is, right? And as the years go by and you continue in school, you've got a pretty good experience, an idea of what a classroom looks like. It's not always the same. It's not the same teacher, not the same students, not always the same style, but you have an idea more or less what it is. Jean Piaget, a Swiss psychologist, was the one to come up with constructivist learning theory. And this is really important, especially for teachers and parents, because it helps us understand how children learn and how they gather this knowledge and they understand the world around them. Before we thought you just told a child something and they learned it, but we learned that by acting it out, by going through these situations themselves, that's how they construct and they they learn and they grow. And so back to the classroom example, as you have scenarios in classrooms that are similar, um, you adapt through either assimilating or accommodating, right? Assimilation or accommodation. 
when you have a class that's similar to the previous class, then you assimilate. You basically add it as something similar to an experience you had before. But when the class is different, for example, maybe there's a class where you're allowed to speak a little more, share a little more, laugh a little more, then you accommodate and essentially that is that is changing, right? And then you're adding that knowledge. The best comparison that I like for schema is understanding them as file folders in your brain, right? And so you've got a file for classroom, you've got a file for um, relationships, for example, if you've ever been in a romantic relationship, with each relationship that you have, you learn some things are very similar, other things are very different. And so again, there's that uh, assimilation and accommodation, you have schema for different experiences such as social events or cultural rituals perhaps and i think the biggest takeaway one of the biggest takeaways from constructivist theory is that we are active in learning we're not passive learners but we we construct these schema right and thus grow from that and learn about the world world around us Okay. And we'll be talking about four different kinds of schema. The plural of schema is schemata, and you will see that there is a chart on your PowerPoint and also in your book as well. And I am bringing that up. They are prototype, personal construct, stereotype, and script. And again, constructivism is after selecting what we notice, we, we try to make sense of that. And we do that through applying cognitive structure, uh, which are these schemata that we're going over. So let's begin with prototype. Prototype is the most representative example of a category. So if you are in an automotive class or some kind of engineering class, the prototype is the example. This is what we want. This is ideal. So if they give you a prototype of a Maserati, then this is what they're looking for. And they build the cars off of that prototype. But we also have prototype for relationships, for um, social events as well. So what's your prototype of a good friend? What does that look like? And generally, people will say, loyal, caring, supportive, a good listener. And that's a prototype that I think a lot of us share and also something that we aspire to be with our friends. So the prototype. What is the prototype for a, a teacher? The prototype for a wedding, maybe. And so prototypes are not always universal, but oftentimes uh, it is something that, that can be shared between groups of people. The next schema is something that a lot of you are familiar with. A lot of you have probably come across this sometime in your life and it can be difficult and that is a stereotype. Stereotype is an exaggerated or distorted generalization about a person or a situation. If you turn on the news at any time, you're probably going to see stereotypes of certain people. In more modern events, there has been a lot of stereotyping against Asian folks because of the coronavirus. In fact, violent crimes against the Asian community have gone up substantially because um, a stereotype has been spread or believed more or less that 
anyone who appears to be Asian, which is a, a huge, huge population, by the way, um, must be carrying this deadly, deadly virus um, because the origins, as we, we think, were in China. And I will post some news articles on that. But that is a stereotype that has done so much harm and has really caused a, a community to suffer right so that would be definitely an exaggerated uh, and distorted generalization and we're seeing the effects of it now oftentimes different groups of people different kinds of identities have stereotypes attributed to them and i'll be posting quite a few videos for you all to go over and that will be part of your assignment looking into these stereotypes and kind of diving in um, on the next page of your powerpoint you can see that people are holding signs for example a muslim um, individual is holding a sign that says muslims are not all terrorists and i saw this stereotype so much and my students would would talk to me about it in saudi how they they want people to know that they're actually very very kind and just because they're muslim doesn't mean that they are um, violent and looking to hurt people but where does that stereotype come from we go back to the, the media and media literacy. And media, by the way, is not inherently evil or anything like that. But oftentimes the messages that we can see will shape our perception of a person or a people group. So if every time you turn on the TV, anytime a Muslim is portrayed, it's a violent, scary way that might start to change the way that you see Muslims, especially if you don't have any Muslim friends or don't actually know a Muslim person. If that's the only exposure you have, then yeah, it could really be difficult for you in understanding what this religion is. I think about when I was growing up, the OJ Simpson trial was all over the news and I was very, very young. And my mom realized that I was seeing a man of color being uh, portrayed in a a violent light, right? Which he he did something bad, obviously. Um, but she didn't want me to think that means that all black men were bad. I live in a very small town, a very white town. And so I didn't actually know any black men. And so my mom actually used media to help. If there was a commercial where a black man was playing with his family or going to um, the park, something positive, she'd say, oh, look at that man. Look at that nice man with his family. And so she was intentional about showing me images that were positive. And I'm very thankful that she had the thoughtfulness to do that and to help me see something more representative. And this is what media literacy is. Of course, media can be an Instagram post, a TikTok video, Facebook, a commercial, the news, a TV show, all of this is media. And if we are looking at media literacy, that is where we look at it through the lens of critical thinking. Is this, is this representative? Is this accurate? Is this trying to sell me something? And we're not just taking it as it is. And so media literacy is a tool that I would like everyone to have. And it is especially helpful if you have children. Right? And think about video games as well. It's good to look through video games with a lens of critical thinking as well. So if we can teach children or nieces, nephews to 
look at the media with a questioning lens, then we're doing a good job. And so that's just something to consider. You can see the other stereotypes that are represented in this photo. We have a man holding a sign that says, I will not cut your grass. We have someone holding a sign that says, not all Asians are studious, have squinty eyes and speak the same language. And these are actually real messages that they have received from people around them. And it can be very harmful. I was speaking with a man who was the supervisor of a disability center in California. And he is in a wheelchair and he is super into sports. Like that is his thing. He loves it. He's passionate about it. And when in our last conversation, he was telling me how their organization sometimes goes to schools to to talk with younger kids and even teenagers about the the options that they have basically and he says Melissa every time I go to a school I bring a big group of athletes who are in wheelchairs and a lot of the kids have never seen someone in a wheelchair who was an athlete and so they have wheelchair rugby and wheelchair basketball and they're incredible and these kids are kind of shocked and why do you think that is because there's not a lot of coverage of that of course and so uh, a stereotype might be that someone in a wheelchair can't play basketball can't do this or that and so um, when it comes to stereotypes we can certainly challenge those and show people that, um, that they can be harmful or limiting. Page 80 gives some examples of racial stereotypes in the workplace. And so these are stereotypes, but uh, focused on, on race. Uh, one of those is all black men love sports. I know that in a college classroom of mine at Eastern, I had a young black man who said, everyone expects me to play basketball, but I don't like basketball. Uh, another one is all members of a racial minority look alike. The following one is anyone with a Spanish last name is automatically fluent in Spanish. We know that's not true. And then uh, people of color experts on race issues. And these stereotypes surround us. And so it is important for us to give them a second look and say, is this, is this accurate? And when it comes to race, there are so many harmful stereotypes and so I do want you to think about that as you go throughout this um, chapter and even the entire quarter what stereotypes belong or what stereotypes are ascribed to uh, racial groups or ethnic groups different genders uh, kinds of sexuality ability disability uh, socioeconomic status for example right if somebody is on unemployment or if they are getting um, some kind of government assistance, then they must be lazy or they must not have worked hard. And that can be very hurtful. A lot of people right now are filing for unemployment, not because they're lazy, but because they literally cannot go into work. So always take a take a deeper look whenever someone spouts out a stereotype and and feel free to to question that and to challenge that because i think when we do that we're able to see people much much more clearly <music>
the next schema is a personal construct. And this is a mental yardstick that we use to measure a person or a situation. And this is dichotomous in that it is one or the other. There is no room for in between. It's not seen as a spectrum. So it is very black or white. Uh, and so maybe we meet someone and they're, they're either funny or they're not funny. They're, they're pretty or they're ugly. And, and there's no room for, for nuance there. So that is a personal construct. A script is the next schema that we move on to. And these are sequences of activities that are expected of us and others in particular situations. And so um, they are very connected to rules. Again, we did talk about rules, but a script is essentially uh, the way that you are supposed to act. And so we talked a little bit about greetings, I believe, how some families you need to go and greet every person one by one and others you can just give a couple hugs. Um, each family really is going to have their own script more or less especially depending on um, culture family celebrations conflict if when conflict arises your entire family that you live with just ignores it and it, they engage in the silence treatment most likely you're going to do the same thing while part of that family because to react might be seen as super <laughs> inappropriate who knows and so when it comes to conflict we do generally have scripts for that as well as far as situations go there are scripts for for weddings and for funerals and parties and so um, again just how we're expected to act in regards of how we act around different people or in situations that we are in so back to the party example there is a script a bit different for a quinceanera than there is for a backyard barbecue kind of thing so, um, scripts. That has concluded our part on schema and constructivism. And again, those are prototype, personal construct, stereotype, and script. Right? Next, we're moving on to the topic of interpretation. And this is how we explain our perceptions, the way that we make sense out of it. And generally, we do this through an attribution. And that's really just the explanation of why it happened or why someone's acting in a certain way. If you go to page 82 in your book, you'll see that there are four different dimensions to attribution. And you can go over that on your own, but I do want to go over the first one with you all. And that is locus. And you may have heard of locus of control before, but what it does is it splits these things, our attributions, into two different sides, and it's either internal or external, right? Why did this happen? Was it something that was within your own control, inside you, internal, or was it external in that um, it was outside sources that were the reason that it happened, right? And so that's what I am attributing to figure things out, right, in order to interpret something. And I explain this because I want to go into the fundamental attribution error. And this is where we understand that things happen that are external sometimes and get in our way, but we don't really extend that to the people around us. And so the example would be this. Let's say that I am going on a coffee date with my friend and I rush out of my house and there's a lot of traffic that I wasn't expecting and I end up getting there 15 minutes late. And I say, oh my goodness, I'm super sorry. Traffic was crazy. Whew, you know, glad I got here. Let's get coffee. And so I am explaining that. 
right? I'm attributing that to something that was external, something that was outside and beyond my control. But let's say that the next coffee date, my friend gets there around 15 minutes late too, and they say, oh, traffic was crazy, and then this happened, and that happened, and I decide to interpret it as more of their fault. And so instead of of saying, yeah, things happen that are beyond our control, instead I'm thinking, you know, they're just really lazy. They they don't really care enough to leave their house on time or or prepare in time. And so uh, for myself, I'm able to say, okay, it was external, but for someone else, maybe I attribute it to something internal, and that's not always fair. As a teacher, this is something I try to be careful about because yes, whenever I assign any assignment really, I'll have several emails giving me reasons why the person, uh, some student could not finish it on time. Sometimes those excuses are valid, sometimes they are not valid and honestly it's not my job to investigate and be entirely sure. I keep the fundamental attribution error in mind because when I was in college, there were definitely times where something happened externally and I could not get my work done. And when a teacher chose to believe me and give me an extension, it was very helpful. So how fair would it be for me anytime a student told me that there was something happening for me to say, uh, doubt it, you know, this is something internal, figure it out, stop being lazy, get things done. Okay. So don't take advantage of me for for saying this, but uh, part of my pedagogy, part of the way that I approach teaching is I I want to believe my students if they tell me something is happening. And from previous experiences, if I have a room full of 20 students, several students are going through something very tough. And I can either choose to believe them and try to support them or just assume that every student is, is trying to, you know, get out in an easy way and so I I keep this in mind and I try to be as supportive as possible when it comes to students and and different things that are going on in their lives and you've probably seen someone do this to you before where um, they decide to to say no this is something internal this is definitely on you and maybe it was external so something to consider there when it comes to interpretation and social media definitely shapes our perceptions if you go on to my facebook page and see the news that that i'm seeing and the ads that i'm being targeted with and then we go to anyone in our class and look at their page it's going to be very different because of algorithms and um, the way that it's set up, you and I could even Google the exact same thing and get very different articles coming up. And so we might be seeing very different sides of a an issue or something happening in the world. And that's something to consider as well. If you're only watching one news station and you're relying on them solely, then you're probably missing out on quite a bit. And it's definitely going to um, shape your perception okay so something to consider there now we could all see the same thing but perceive it differently and there are different influences on perception that I would like us to go over number one would be physiology so our mental state or a medical condition think about it this way if you have had a really bad day I mean like everything is going wrong and um, 
one more thing happens, you might perceive it to be much worse than it really is. Your alarm clock goes off late, you're late to a meeting, you have a bad review from your boss, you spill your coffee on lunch break, and then maybe when you get home, somebody had eaten your leftovers in the refrigerator (laughs) and it feels like the end of the world. Whenever it's really not, it was just a bad day, but the way that you look at your leftovers being eaten after a really bad day feels different after a great day. And so we we perceive things differently based on how, how we are feeling physiologically. Um, the same thing would be if you have migraines. I use migraines because I get migraines. And my gosh, if I have a migraine and someone is speaking near me, I'm probably going to perceive it as louder than it really is because that sound really gets me um, and and it hurts my head. So physiology definitely plays a role. Expectations also play a role. If you've ever had someone set you up with somebody, you know, he's he's really cool, he's funny, he's he's super smart, he's this, he's that. And then you meet them and they're just kind of funny and kind of smart, then you might find yourself being disappointed and it probably would have been different had they not built that person up so much. This happened to me with Silverwood. Silverwood, I think that's what it's called, the the amusement park in Idaho. I grew up in Illinois where we had Six Flags, and Six Flags is like Silverwood times 300, and it was just super cool, and so when we moved to Washington, everyone was like, Silverwood is the place to be, it's really awesome, it's really cool, there are rides, there's this, and so I was really excited to go with my family, I was younger, and we got there, and we were like, what is this? And so yes, I was comparing it. But also people have built it up so much, the people that I had spoken with, that I expected it to be super cool. If I only knew that it was an amusement park, I may not have been so excited. I probably would have thought, oh, cool, let's try it out. But the way that people had described it, I thought it was going to be incredible. And it really disappointed me because I I had built it up in my head. Of course, the reverse can happen as well. If you think something is going to be horrible and it's just okay, then you're going to perceive it much more positively than you would have had you just assumed that it would be um, okay. So expectations definitely can change the way that we perceive something. Our age also changes the way that we perceive something. Think back to when you were in elementary school. What seemed old to you? I remember when I was in pre-K or kindergarten, we were in a building that went up to fifth grade and I thought, oh my gosh, when I become a fifth grader, I've basically made it. Like that is the, that is it. That is the goal. They are the kids in charge. They are old. They are like super cool. They're basically independent. Like I probably thought they could smoke at that age. I just thought that once you get into fifth grade, like you are it. You are super cool. You're pretty badass. You basically own the school. But do I think that now? No, fifth graders seem so, so young to me. And that's because of age and the differences. And so if you talk to someone in their 80s, the way that they view something might be different just because of what they have gone through or how they see the world. Think about if you've ever taken a kid um, on vacation before. 
when I was younger, I feel like time went by quite a bit slower for me. And I'd ask my parents, are we there yet? Are we there yet? And my mom would say like, we'll get there within the length of two Barney shows because I couldn't even do time very well. If she were to tell me, you know, 45 minutes, I might not be able to gauge that. But when she said like two Barney shows, I was like, okay, got it, got it. But it's different today. Whenever I go on a trip, I just see time differently. I perceive it differently. So just think about age. If you've ever asked a kid, how old do you think I am? You've been hurt with that before. Um, They just perceive things differently. Culture, which we will dive into a lot more in a later lesson, also influences the way that we perceive a person, a place, or a thing. And culture really is the lens through which we view the world around us. And it does include beliefs, values, understandings, and practices. So if you think of a hamburger, for example, in the U.S., I think that hamburgers are seen as um, like a meal, whereas in India, if you're in a village that is mostly a Hindu, it's going to be seen as sacrilege, more or less. And so um, that would influence the way that we perceive even just a simple hamburger. Standpoint theory is applicable here because these are people who are within the culture and who are thinking about the culture critically. And then also different cultures have different roles that are expected of its members. And the last is cognitive abilities. And really, this is just our ability to understand things in depth. And so um, the book points out that adults are more cognitively complex than children, but that we have different degrees of cognitive complexity. And I want to move on to what I think the most important part about cognitive abilities is, and that is uh, person-centeredness. And this is, and I will read from page 89 the definition that they give, the ability to perceive another being as a unique individual. And I really like that because it goes back to the I-thou, right? The I-it, I-you, I-thou that we talked about in the first chapter and how you're able to see people at a deeper level and see them for who they are and that they are cherished and unique. Uh, Even if maybe you're not agreeing with them, you can see them for um, something deeper than they may appear to be on the outside. And this is where we get to empathy. And we will definitely get into empathy when we get into conflict as well. But empathy is being able to feel with another person. It's not feeling for another person. It is is being there and sharing with them and really saying, I can, I can imagine how that would feel. Wow. And um, there are things that more empathetic people do, and that is very tied to emotional intelligence, which is something that we will also get into. So really think about empathy there and seeing people through an empathetic lens. So now that we know what perception is, we know how we apply schemata in order to understand the world around us, we know that people can perceive the same thing differently, what should we do? Number one, check yourself. Check yourself. And that is checking in with yourself. Is this what I think it is? Is this as bad as I think it is? Uh, Might I be wrong? Might something be influencing the way that I'm seeing this right now so I'm having a bad day and my sister maybe doesn't 
answer me back in a text message? Is she ignoring me and does she hate me and, and wish we were never sisters? No, she's probably just busy. And so I might need to talk myself through it and say, is this rational? And if you have anxiety or depression, this can be difficult. This can be difficult because you, your anxiety might tell you, you know, something's wrong, something's wrong. And sometimes you have to be able to call out those intrusive feelings and those thoughts and say, wait a minute, is it though? And a good thing you can do is checking in with other people. Uh, Whether that's calling up a friend and saying, hey, this happened at work and I'm really upset about this. What do you think? If you have a friend who you can trust, then they can say, you know, Melissa, I don't think that's a really big deal. I can I can see why you may have read it that way, but I think it's totally fine. I've done this with other teachers before, and it's very helpful for me to be able to check in and say, hey, this happened with a student. Do you think that I should do this? I should do that? Did I see it in a way that it might not be very representative? And so very helpful to check in with other people and ask them. Number two, we need to recognize that perceptions are partial and they can be subjective. So if you're meeting someone for a new coworker, let's say you're meeting a new coworker and they seem very snobby or rude, maybe it's because it's their first day and they're they're really nervous. Number three is to avoid mind reading. And it's obvious, but it's also very difficult to do. Sometimes we do try to read people's minds for more comfort or to figure out what's going on in there. The next one is to know the difference between facts and inferences. And that is something that also requires us to kind of talk to ourselves and have a discussion. Is this true? Is this a fact? Or are they just inferring something? The next one is to be careful with labels. And labels can be very limiting. They can stick with someone throughout a lifetime. Uh, can make other people perceive them badly and make them perceive themselves badly. And the last one is to guard against the fundamental attribution error. That is what we were talking about earlier, where we understand that there are a lot of things that can cause issues in our lives, but when it comes to other people, we generally hold them accountable for it. So while it might be tempting or easy to call someone lazy, Maybe that's not the case, or maybe we should look into that a little further. Now, having said this, I'm not asking you to perceive everyone in the purest light possible and not hold them accountable for their mistakes or the way that they treat you. Somebody might have a bad day, yes, but there are certain things that are never okay. So um, if your romantic other hits you and then says, you know, it was just a bad day or this is what's happening make sure that they are being held accountable. So don't let people get away with things that are that are not acceptable. And that's just me putting that in there because when we get into things like emotional intelligence and empathy and perceiving things accurately, I don't want anyone who is in a toxic situation to think that maybe they're not doing their part. So just know that if you are in a situation where it is abusive or toxic, then you need to protect yourself and and consider that. And I'm always available to talk to you. We have a great psychology counseling center, sorry, at Big Ben. We also have resources in the community. And so that's something to keep in mind as we go throughout this. Page 97 has a really nice little mini article about eyewitnesses and testifying in court. And it kind of asks the question, 
is their testimony always accurate? Do they always see what they thought that they saw? And so I'll let you dive into that on your own, but I found it very interesting. And so that does end our chapter three on perception. Next week, we'll be getting into the world of words, which is chapter four, and that is all about verbal communication. Very interesting. I'll be asking you all to participate quite a bit in bringing up words and languages that you have heard. This ties in really well with the last part where we talked about how labels can limit people and define people, and so we'll get into that quite a bit. If you have any questions, as always, please email me. I am here to help you out and I will be posting your assignment for the weekend very soon. So have a great week, everyone. Make sure that you're staying safe and always reach out to me if you have any questions or concerns. Peace.